Listen, that to me is what every American should pay attention to, is the motivation of who is asking you to listen on this topic. There are a lot of people like me, survivors, families affected by gun violence, activist groups, and even politicians who are trying to do whatever they can to stop the next shooting. That's our motivation. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions. Today is Father's Day. I can't think of anyone better to talk to and learn from than a dad who has been an inspiration to me and millions of others. Since his daughter Jamie was killed at Parkland, Fred Guttenberg has made it his mission to keep other families like mine from ever experiencing what his went through. I hope you'll take a moment to listen to our conversation about his new book, American Carnage, which dismantles many of the myths we hear today about guns and gun violence. Fred, welcome back to Burn the Boats. Hey, Ken, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. I got to tell you, though, I have never been so fixated on a book's table of contents. Uh, But when I first opened American Carnage, I got stuck here for like 20 minutes uh, because it's just astonishing the number of myths that you break down that have so dominated the conversation about guns in America. And I'm wondering what gave you the idea to structure the book in this way. So it's basically a field manual to help people challenge the lies that sustain the gun industry. Listen, it's a great question. You know, my daughter should be turning 20 this July. She was killed just over five years ago. And, you know, after she was killed, I became really um, energized in this movement to do something about reducing gun violence. And one of the things that became immediately clear to me is we've spent the past 20 or 30 years creating policy and electing people on lies. I mean, true myths. And it is amazing to me how deeply ingrained these lies and myths became. But because of how deeply ingrained they were, combating them, and we became a challenge because there were so many. And so about two years ago, my co-author, Tom Gabor, came to me and said, you know, after the Parkland shooting, I started work on a project, and then it paused. And I want to revisit it. And it's taking on the lies and myths of the gun lobby. And I immediately said, count me in, you know, because there's not been a real, call it a manual, to do that until this book. And, and here's why that matters. Um, I told you my daughter should turn 20 in July. 20 years ago, 20 years ago, it's not a long time, there were only 200 million guns in America. Today, 20 years later, we are over 400 million plus the additional ghost guns. 20 years ago, AR-15 sales were less than 2% of all guns sold. Today, 25% of all guns sold. I literally just told you everything you need to know to understand gun violence in America and everything else it are the lies and the myths that actually put us in this place where we created the gun violence we now see in only 20 years. As an example of just how ingrained those myths are, I mean, I don't have to make it very far in that table of contents. 
myth number two stopped me cold because it's one that I have just taken for granted for for the past couple of years. It's that an increasing percentage of Americans are buying guns. Turns out that's a myth. And it's a it's myth a that serves, it's a lie that serves the gun industry yeah. because it makes it seem like gun culture is spreading. And as someone who feels like I am pretty well versed in the nefariousness of the NRA and the lies they tell, even that one got me. So for anyone who thinks they know this landscape, they still need to buy this book. But can you deconstruct that one? Because, and we could go through all 37, we're not going to, but just- yeah. Let's stop on number two. How did we get to the point where we've been convinced that an increasing percentage, and nuance is important here, an increasing percentage of Americans are buying guns, which is misinformation? So actually, you know what? Let me start with myth number one and lead okay. into number two. Because myth number one talks about who we are and have been as a country. And as a country, we've always had gun safety laws. We've had a lot of gun owners you got to remember, as a country, you know, we had hunters and people who use guns for sport and hunting through our history. But we've always had gun safety laws. And, you know, one of the things that happened is in 1977, a guy by the name of Harlan Carter took over the NRA at a mutiny in uh, their, their convention in Cincinnati that year. And Harlan Carter, what people didn't know about him was he's a convicted murderer. Uh, but he changed a vowel in his name. And so people didn't know it. And he is the guy who pushed America into this place where we were, in our history, a gun safety country. A lot of gun owners spread out across the country, a lot of them, who believed in gun safety and responsible firearms ownership. Harlan Carter realized that the things that drove gun ownership in the country, things like hunting and sport, were actually declining. And so he needed to create new markets. And he started to push America into a place through the NRA and through a lot of money on political people who believed him and on studies that started creating all these myths. Studies that really started to treat America as you're either a good guy or a bad guy, you know, and all the bad guys already own guns. And so all the good guys, you need to own guns too to defend yourself. And the whole notion was we are now a country awash in good guys and bad guys who are going to have to own guns. Bad guys because they want to be bad and good guys because you got to protect yourself. But the truth is there weren't as many instances of these bad guys with guns attacking good guys with guns every day. And most Americans... We're feeling secure. Now, the problem is, while it's a declining number of Americans who own guns, there are more guns. And, if, you know, we've doubled the arsenal. And in recent years, especially like starting around COVID, we've seen the percentage of Americans becoming first-time gun owners and bringing guns into their homes increasing because of the success of the NRA pushing this idea that we're all at risk of these bad guys. It's crazy how they've used lies and myths to literally build an industry. And in 20 years, okay, these lies and myths, you know, the, 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 the types of things, you know, the numbers of defensive uses of guns, okay, it's a lie. It was a pure made-up lie based on fake data 
but the myth took hold. If you, I'll, I'll start the sentence, you'll finish it, okay? Think about this sentence. The only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is? A good guy with a gun, and please tell us where that phrase came from. That phrase started five days after the Sandy Hook shooting. Yep. We all think that we've heard this forever, right? That it's just been a part of American culture, that notion. It started after the Sandy Hook shooting. Wayne LaPierre, five days after, that was his response to Sandy Hook. He turned Sandy Hook, the NRA turned Sandy Hook, into a gun sales bonanza. But the truth is, we still don't see the numbers of American families owning weapons that we had in the past. And we do see a concentration of dangerous weapons in a smaller percentage of Americans. And we do see, because there are so many weapons, being sold in ways that don't require background checks and other um, you know, ways to ensure we're keeping them out of the hands of those who intend harm, how easy it is for bad guys to actually get a gun. That political shift you described at the NRA starting in 77 is, is something I lived through. I was a Cub Scout and a Boy Scout in the 70s and 80s, and I remember the NRA pushing marksmanship and yeah. gun safety to Americans of all ages, but in particular to Boy Scouts, right? It was about being safe with your firearms and learning how to shoot. And I think if you go way back, it was about preparing young men in America to join the military and, and be better shots. That pivot in the 70s has done so much damage. But I wonder if, if our focus on the NRA sometimes leads us to take our, our eye off the ball. You'll know better than anybody, so I'm asking you, if we take down the NRA, aren't there other extremist organizations waiting in the wings? I mean, aren't there right now organizations even farther to the right than the, the NRA? What's out there lurking in the shadows when all of our ire is focused on this admittedly extremely toxic and, and damaging organization? What a, a great question. And your question is actually the reason you, as a general rule of thumb, hear me talk less about the NRA these days, because it's the NRA is really the reason we are where we are. But yeah. other organizations now exist. But even worse than that, it's the legacy of the work that they did that we now need to live with. And what I mean by that is they put a lot of money into electing a lot of people who believe what it was that the NRA was saying. And those people currently serve. And so while just back in 2018, before the Parkland shooting, these people were taking NRA money and loving it and wearing the A-rating pin, none of them wear the A-rating pin anymore, but they don't need to. They really believe the message. And so the legacy of the NRA and the success of it with elections is something that carries the, the, the work of those who, who want to sell more guns forward. And we need to defeat those people. You know, we need to fire them from office and elect new people. But the other legacy of the NRA and those gun groups, which I think is maybe the most concerning, has to do with the courts. You know, you don't need a gun group focused on elections as much anymore when they're filing lawsuits. And they're using the courts to literally reinterpret what the Second Amendment says 
to literally reinterpret laws that we've had on the books for our history to make it easier to get it gone. And I'll just use an example. You know the Bruin case from last year, Second Amendment case. That was not a lawsuit over some new law that people are disagreeing about. It wasn't anything like that. It was a lawsuit over a law that was over 100 years old, okay, on the books, because we always were a history of gun safety laws. They, But that law was so pivotal to help the states pass legislation that would keep it so that those who intend harm have a harder time gaining access to a gun. It struck down a law that was over 100 years old. That's what the Bruin case did. I mean, I can't make it up. But that's what it did. And when I think of the Supreme Court and I think of the Second Amendment, I'll give you just one more example. 2008, the Heller decision. You all remember that? The people focused on a lot of what Scalia said back then. One of the things that may be the most meaningful part of the Heller decision is a phrase that now gets attached to the Second Amendment as if it's always been there. But it came out of that Heller decision, common use. And the reason why common use matters is following the Heller decision. Remember I told you in 2003, AR-15 sales were less than 2% of all guns sold? The assault weapons ban ended in 2004. That didn't cause a huge increase in sales of assault weapons. It really started after the Heller decision. In 08, assault weapons sales were about 4 or 5% of all guns sold. The big spike happened after Heller and that common use language. And common use said, if a weapon is the most popular in its class and in common use, you can't restrict it in essence. I mean, that is that is not a legally uh, perfect answer, but that is my in a nutshell answer. And the industry went on a manufacturing binge following the Heller decision. They literally used the Supreme Court decision to develop a business strategy, which remember back then, they said these weapons are for hunting and sport, but they started manufacturing far beyond the size of those markets and needing to create new marketing strategies to sell them, including marketing to kids, to the point where now here we are 15 years later, only 15 years, and they're now 25% of all guns sold because of that Supreme Court decision, common use. And we now may see this year the Supreme Court in another decision conclude that you can't ban these weapons because they're in common use. And again, this is happening in 15 years. This isn't our history. And people need to understand that. And because it's literally all clustered in this really recent 15, 20-year time, we can fix this with our vote. And we better vote. You do an incredible job at uncovering some of that history for those who think this world we're stuck in has always existed. I mean, you go back to the Wild West and there were better controls on firearms in towns back then yeah. than, than there are today. Like the, the Second Amendment is, is, is my thing as a, as a legal guy. 
But talk a little bit about like gun safety in 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 the old days. I mean, you couldn't just walk into a saloon with a with a hip cannon, right? <laughs> they had no. way more common sense back then than we do today. And it's about money and marketing. The wild, wild west is not the way people seem to think of it today. You know, they actually had laws on the books to prevent people from just simply walking into public places with guns and using them, you know, and it was not weird that people expected that. And it continued. I mean, from our founding all the way to 1977, the notion of America as a country with a Second Amendment and responsible gun owners and gun safety was not unexpected. You know, we were able to do both, have our Second Amendment rights have our Americans who own guns, but also understand the importance of being responsible and understand how we need to take every step to keep them out of the hands of those who intend harm to someone else or others. This is a really recent thing where we just sort of moved away from that and all for the purpose of selling more guns for an industry that has put a cost of doing business on the lives of people like my daughter. You referenced that sales strategy as including marketing to kids. And it's not just, you know, an ad in a section of a paper that that young people read. They've actually made AR-15s where the stock will fit yeah. and like the show. And they, what was the one example I'm thinking of that they actually renamed it to appeal to kids? I think it was AR-15 Junior. And, you know, they've also made them in really cute little colors. So kids... We'll like them. You have uh, Daniel Defense, who sold the gun that was used in the Ovalde shooting, who literally had advertisements showing how important it was to get little kids started shooting this weapon. Um, you know, listen, I am the only Parkland parent who still has an active lawsuit trying to sue the gun manufacturer. And the reason why none of the others have joined. It's a really risky proposition because PLACA, so PLACA is a federal law that shields the manufacturer from liability. And if you sue them and lose, they can sue you for damages. And they have done that in the past and bankrupted families who lost loved ones to gun violence. And this is not a, a blanket law that protects industry writ large from frivolous lawsuits. We're talking about the gun industry in particular as the only industry in America that has a special carve-out. Yes. Now, the Sandy Hook families were able to actually successfully have a PLACA claim that got to a settlement. Part of the reason why is they had a state law that gave the ability to kind of find a window through this deceptive marketing practices. And the reason why the, the manufacturer ultimately settled was that was better than having to release all of the discovery and documents that would have become public. And so in Florida, I unfortunately don't have the ability to have a beneficial state law. In fact, Florida has a statute that's even more onerous than PLACA. And to file my PLACA claim, I have to first get through the Florida statute, which here we are five years later, and I'm still trying, but I have a claim going to the Florida Supreme Court, and we'll see where that goes. But what I've done 
is the lawsuit that I would like to file. I've actually filed a claim with the FTC. So, because I want, what I want is, I've we've been able to show how the person who shot my daughter was in fact being influenced by this marketing. And I want those CEOs under oath. I want those documents. I want the tobacco moment. I've already been talking to members of the Senate who do have subpoena power to hold a hearing using the FTC claims and calling those CEOs under oath. The truth is, because you don't have 60 votes in the Senate, they can issue the subpoena, but they can't enforce it. So the executives don't have to hum. It would look bad if they didn't, but they would probably rather look bad than release the discovery because the discovery is damning. We can prove, I have no doubt, if we get them under oath and we see the documents, I am certain we will see the business strategy that led us to where we are today. I hear you say a lot to people wrestling with like the confusing fire hose of facts on this. Focus on the motivations. I know what your motivations are. You want to keep what happened to your family from ever happening to another family again, to my family. Thank you. But the comparison to the motivations of the people you're you're going after should be clear as day. And for the gun industry, it's money. Listen, that to me is what every American should pay attention to, is the motivation of who is asking you to listen on this topic. There are a lot of people like me survivors, families affected by gun violence, activist groups, and even politicians who are trying to do whatever they can to stop the next shooting. That's our motivation. We just, we're not trying to punish responsible gun owners. We're not anti-Second Amendment. We're not gun grabbers. That's just all part of the lies and the myths, which is why I also am saying a lot, let's stop listening to the liars, okay? Because that's all that that is. Our motivation is to stop the next one, to stop a parent from understanding what I do. Now, compare that to those who spread the lies, whether you're part of the industry or you're a political person, okay? Their motivation is to help that industry. Their motivation is to sell more guns because that helps the industry. Even if you're a politician, your help and support of that industry brings you donations, and other things that you will value. You're part of that. So I am on the right side on this issue. 80% of America agrees with me. This is not a question of even whether or not my stance is popular. I, I, I suspect if you do a poll, my stance on gun owners, which is, again, supported by 80% of America, is more popular than apple pie. Okay, and, and and so this this is not a question of whether Americans agree in convincing Americans they are convinced. It's an issue of how we've put ourselves in a place on this issue and others where a minority is managing to thwart the will of the majority. That's the question, and the answer is: if the majority, if those who clearly agree with me on this sit on the sidelines in the next election, you are part of the problem. You can't sit home. You need to vote. You said this in a recent MSNBC interview. I'll just say to every American voter listening right now, vote 
in 2024. I don't care if you think it's a perfect candidate, if it's a candidate who says they have a plan to be part of reducing gun violence, who's going to be part of a woman's right to choose, who's going to be part of defending freedom and democracy, vote. What strikes me about that is your linking of these issues, because they're not unrelated, right? They're not. Listen, you don't need to be a rocket scientist to look at the different sides here. The recurrent state of the Republican Party, it's not a responsible governing entity at this point. They're just not. Okay. And there's a lot of Republicans who will tell you the same thing, whether it's my friend Joe Walsh or Liz Cheney. These are not Democrats. These are conservative people telling you to vote for Democrats because they understand there's something different going on right now and that they want the Republican Party back. But before you can get there, you have to thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly beat this party that exists. And so for me, when I look at who it is that supports gun safety, they tend to be the same people who support what the majority of Americans say they want, which is other things like the right to choose, expanded voting rights, protection of environment. These are not minority views. These are majority majority views, but they are being held up by a minority. Oh, and I'll add to that, protection of our democracy and our constitution as it exists today. Those who support reducing gun violence, support all those other things, you can just, I'll make that as a blanket statement. I know it's true. And those who unfortunately want expanded gun rights tend to be the same who will tell you their vote was flawed or will tell you a woman doesn't have her, her freedoms that she always thought she had. You know, it's clear. And so here's what I will say to the majority of Americans, okay? What the other side has figured out is how to use language to keep a base. And that's what they are, base. But they're about 30, 35% of the country probably voting. And they will vote. They are hardcore voters right now, and the other side knows it, and, and, and that's why they can't pull away from that base right now. What do you say to the Republican representatives who throw up their hands, and this literally happened on the Capitol steps after, I think it was uh, Uvalde, might have been the Allen, Texas shooting, there's going to be another one tomorrow, and they say, we can't do anything about it. I will say that response is what's going to get you fired, okay? And and I'll use an example. You know, just this week in Jacksonville, Florida, a Republican stronghold, Donna Deegan, won for mayor, and no, nobody, yeah, Democrat, and nobody expected it, and she didn't win because of Democrats. She won because Republicans, in large numbers, voted for her, and no party affiliates, in really large numbers voted for her. And I think you're going to see that across the country. So if you can't be a part of solving the issue of gun violence, you should start your look working on your resume and prepare to be fired because Americans are going to vote. And I will just simply say to Americans, okay, you have to vote. Don't this 24 is the election where you need to get over needing to fall in love with a candidate. Where you need to get over, I either love everything about the Democrat or I'm not voting for them. You need to focus on 
if they support reducing gun violence, if they support the right to choose, if they support democracy, you don't need to love them, but you better vote for them. We got to talk about Florida. <laughs> you've brought <laughs> it up twice now because you've got a governor who may well become the next president of the United States. But even if not, I feel like there is this race to the bottom in his competition with the former president, Trump. You see it on the the abortion issue, yep. walking back that how many weeks the ban's gonna gonna kick in. Uh, I'm afraid you're gonna see it on gun extremism as well. When you get two egos like that competing for a radical base, which is a sliver of the popular vote, it leads to terrible things. As a Floridian, give us your take on Governor DeSantis. Governor DeSantis will never be president of the United States. He is not loved in Florida the way people think, and certainly not by 19 points. What he understood clearly is the importance of his 30 to 35% showing up at the polls. And he got them out. And they voted almost completely. And Democrats sat home because they didn't love their candidate, because they didn't feel inspired. You know, if you want to be inspired and you want to fall in love, find other ways to do that, but you got to vote. And the Democrats didn't. That is the reason that he won his reelection in the numbers that he did. And it is the reason that he and Trump are fighting over that base that they know is going to vote. They, they figure that is their power base. Now, the thing about DeSantis, he's an exceptionally weird guy. And, and I know him, and I've been in the same room with him. And he is an exceptionally weird guy who cannot and will not perform on the big stage. And in live candid moments, we've all already seen that. Um, so he will not be the nominee, um, whether or not it's Trump. I'm still not convinced. And if it is Trump, it may have to happen from a prison cell, but it won't be DeSantis. Um, I will tell you, um, I'm watching the rumblings of a guy like Yunkin, and he gets me nervous because he's as bad as them, but he looks prettier being bad. You know, he's not he's not as scary looking or sounding, Um, you know, but it won't be DeSantis. Uh, I got to plug the book one more time. What are uh, some of the myths that surprised you? Or, or did you have this all wired before you put pen to paper? You know, none of it surprised. I think the disconnect between our history and what people think of who we are now when it comes to our relationship with guns, just how big the disconnect is. And how really recent it is, but how strongly it's taken hold, shocked me. You know, because again, this is not our history, but it really, but you talk to anybody now, it feels like it is, but it isn't. That to me is one of the more shocking things about the book is how big that disconnect is. The ability of the industry to use completely flawed data on things like defensive uses of guns to successfully create the image that we are a country who has to constantly have 
um, guns to protect ourselves from those, the bad guys who are going to shoot us. It shocked me how successfully they did that because the data is crap. It is, it is really, really bad. But the data ultimately didn't matter. What mattered is the money invested and constantly telling the lie, and the lie took hold. You know, things like that really did surprise me because there's a complete disconnect from reality. The backstory to that dependence on terrible data is actually a, a terrible indictment of our of our political process because it was it was an institutional thing, right? The CDC itself was banned by law from researching gun violence, which served the gun industry really, really well. So the CDC was banned from researching. Think about another agency who also had, was hamstrung and had their budgets completely decimated and laws were passed that literally prevented it from doing its job, the ATF. Alcohol, tobacco, firearms, the agency tasked with ensuring our public safety from firearms was neutered by the money spent by this industry using these lies. And, you know, they're actually literally not, they've not been allowed to upgrade their technology. They still use paper in boxes stacked floor to ceiling with records that you have to search through when a crime happens, okay? You can't make it up but it is what they did. So they've always said, listen, we have laws on the books. We need to follow the laws on the books. While neutering the agency, tasked with following the laws on the books, you know, they've always said, if we do anything to reduce gun violence, the smallest little thing, it's a slippery slope. We can't pass new laws because it's a slippery slope. But you know what? In that entire time that they've been saying that, they've been passing a lot of gun laws, but it's the kind of laws that make us less safe. Stand your ground, permitless carry, things that neutered the CDC and the ATF. That's, we've been on the slippery slope. It led us to 400 million guns on the streets and almost 50,000 a year dead. Yeah, if ever there was a slippery slope case, it's it's Heller and common use. And now, you know, yeah. we have AR-15s that are ubiquitous because they engineered a slippery slope on purpose. I want to I want to switch gears in the time we have left. Um, you never planned this life mission. That all changed on February 14th, 2018. But I'd love you to take us back, you know, weeks or years before that and tell us something about Jamie that you want us to remember. Jamie, listen, I always taught my children, you always do what's right, not what's easy. Because you can always live with yourself when you do what's right. And Jamie got that message wholeheartedly and all, and really worked hard at doing what was right. And, I'll just, and I don't just mean she like made good choices. I mean, the way she treated other people. I'm so proud of my daughter for her dislike of bullies. She used to put herself in between a bully and somebody being bullied to make it stop, which candidly is her dad made me nervous every day because I always worried about her safety, but she didn't care. Um, and whenever I would tell her she needs to stop, I mean, she would basically tell me I should stop. 
she, my daughter was petite. And she would just tell me, you know, dad, you underestimate me because of my size. Okay. But she wasn't going to speak because she wanted these kids who were always getting bullied to not have to experience that. You know, people know my daughter as this beautiful competitive dancer, but what they don't know as much about her is how when she wasn't dancing and she wasn't in school, she was volunteering her time for kids with special needs, kids of different abilities, because she wanted them to have the same access to like social relationships and, 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 and just all good things the way that she did. She understood. And my daughter was a fighter for what was good. And I will tell you one little thing about my daughter that maybe sums this up. She had the ultimate BS detector. And I'll never forget during the Trump run for the presidency, she used to get come down. She'd watch me watching the news and just be like, I can't believe this country is this stupid. Can't they see he's a liar? Can't they see he's a bad guy? She'd get angry about it. But the country elected him. Um, but she knew it. You know, she saw it. And that's because she understood good and bad. And and she really did. She had that BS detector. I miss my kid more than I can tell you. Yeah. Well, I think it's it's pretty clear <clears throat> that, that she's right in the fight with you, Fred. And thank you for doing it for, for my family and for my kids. As always, it's such an honor having you on. And thank you, my friend. Thanks again to Fred for joining me. Make sure to check out his book, American Carnage. Thanks for listening to Burn the Boats. If you have any feedback, please email the team at kharbaugh at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're always looking to improve the show. For updates and more, follow us on Twitter at team underscore Harbaugh. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review. Burn the Boats is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer is Declan Roars, and Sean Ruloffman is our audio engineer. Special thanks to Evergreen executive producers Joan Andrews, Michael DeAloya, and David Moss. I'm Ken Harbaugh, and this is Burn the Boats, a podcast about big decisions. Peter. And this is Tom. We want to tell you guys a little bit about our podcast. Tom and I met in college, became best friends, and then teachers almost 20 years ago. Sometimes school just does not allow us to elaborate on the topics that we find interesting, like the real shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws, or the real historical context to Indiana Jones artifacts. Where does cereal come from? Or are zombies real? Does Ben Franklin really deserve to be on a $100 bill? On our podcast, just like in our class, there are no stupid questions. Just two friends having a lighthearted conversation about history, pop culture, and the context of current events. Listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast from Evergreen Network, anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.